right. That was good. I needed that. Um, next week, we're starting a new series um, on discipleship. So we're going to do it in a little different way than we've done pretty much anything um, like this. Uh, we have a guest speaker next week, uh, Bill Allison, and he is the uh, founder of a ministry called Cadre Missionaries, and his whole purpose in life is to uh, basically train people how to be disciples and how to be disciples who make disciples. Um, you're going to enjoy him. We're going to love him. So uh, we are bringing him to the church the week before the workshop that we're going to have, which is October the 8th. And that will be kind of a, a Saturday morning that is intended just to kind of train our church how to be disciples who make disciples. Um, and then from there, we're going to begin a series on discipleship, which I have this philosophical belief, okay? I have this idea, um, and I there, there are people that disagree with me on this, but I believe everything that we do in the church is, in a sense, discipleship, okay? Everything that we're doing is either helping somebody to become a disciple as a new believer or as a believer to grow in their faith as a disciple, to learn things about God's word, to learn how to serve, to learn how to apply it, to understand all the ins and outs of it. Um, but as we start this series on discipleship, we're going to really focus in on the specifics of what it means to live the Christian life. And maybe dig into some topics that um, ordinarily we, maybe we, we kind of hit on or we glance over or we, uh, you know, refer to, but... Um, in this series, we're really going to dig into some real issues of how do you live as a Christian? What do you do? What are the things that you should do, shouldn't do? How do you grow? How do you intentionally follow Christ? Um, so we're going to be moving into that realm next week. But this week, um, we're concluding a series that I started just three weeks ago um, on this whole issue of um, despair and hope and joy and it's a response to the pandemic and then the pandemic what it left us with I when I was a kid um, we had a flood in 1993 in, in our town of Ashland do you guys have a flood up here in that around those okay so it was a bad year for everybody okay but um, I remember I was in high school and um, our town kind of like Alito a little bit we're, we were not near, like, a body of water, okay? We're in the middle of, of you know, agricultural farmland. Um, and yet, our house was built kind of on a little hill. And we had a full basement, and the full basement had a garage that went in, okay, from, uh, from the one side, and then half the basement was bedrooms and a, and a little half bath. Um, and so, I remember waking up one morning, my brother was sleeping on the couch, okay, and I woke up and came out, and my brother's on the couch, and this is, you know, typical teenage, you know, my brother's a little older than me, but uh, he had um, woken up to water in his room that was like knee high, and he just went upstairs and laid down on the couch and went, <laughs> went back to sleep, okay, and then, so, the rest of the family wakes up, and he's like, yeah, there's, there's water in the basement. And we're like, well, there's water in the basement. Like, yeah, there's water waist deep in the basement. It's three feet deep in the basement. And uh, we were uh, able to take the canoe. We had a canoe out into the backyard and paddle around town. Like, we had water, like, like it was a flood. It was a legitimate flood. And I remember that the water uh, receded, um, and... There was left, and if you guys have been through a flood, you, you know this. What was left was just this grime, this, this film all over everything that it touched. It ruined everything, and it, there was just this mud that was left over everything, okay? The pandemic kind of did that to us in a way, okay? We had this, this situation that was a, a, an emergency, okay? And we're trying to figure out what's going on, what, what to do, how to deal with it. But even after it kind of receded, we were left spiritually 
with this, this film, this, this sense of something, something unwholesome. I don't know what to say. This morning, even after the 8 o'clock service, after I preached the message, one person came up to me afterwards and they're like, I've been feeling like what you've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, and I thought it was just me. And I was telling her, it's not just you, it's a lot of people. I'm not saying it's everybody, but it's a lot of people, and it is a pandemic of something. Despair, hopelessness, joylessness, anxiety, um, I don't know what, emptiness. A lot of people feel this sense of just emptiness. And it's a spiritual battle. I am convinced it's a spiritual battle. And one of the things that we're going to get into this morning is this issue of, of recovering joy. And part of the, the issue that we're left with as Christians, okay, uh, this may not necessarily be the case for the world, or the world may not understand it this way. But as Christians, we have this particular um, emphasis or teaching that is a little misleading, and I'll get into that in a minute, and this may be controversial for some people. You may have a hard time listening to me talk about this because you may disagree with, with my whole premise, okay? But here's, here's the thing. We have this idea that we should be joyful as Christians. You ever hear that before? One, two, three, four. Okay. Now, the issue is, it's almost a false teaching. Almost. Because it is so emphasized that, that you ought to be joyful. It's almost commanded to the extent of, if you're not filled with joy as a Christian every moment, every day, then you, therefore, are not a very good Christian. Okay, now, what you find in Scripture is that you're never, to my knowledge, okay, and, I, and if you point out a Scripture that I'm not aware of or haven't thought about or didn't remember, then by all means, you know, come and talk to me um, Wednesday. I need a little space. <laughs> okay. But, um, but what has happened is that there was a mistranslation. I'm calling it a mistranslation. Some people might say it's a valid translation. I don't think it's valid. But it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Some of you have, have it translated incorrectly on your bathroom wall or your bedroom wall or your living room wall or your kitchen wall. Be joyful how often? Always. Right? Anybody have that plaque somewhere? Nobody? Somebody had it in there in 8 o'clock. I said, take it down, throw it away, because it's wrong. <laughs> that, that's not the word. It's not the correct translation. It's not be joyful always. ESV gets it right. It says rejoice always. You know what a monumental difference that is? That's a huge difference. I can rejoice always. I can praise God always. I can give Him thanks always. I can thank Him in every circumstance. Being joyful always is not only not commanded in Scripture, it's not possible. And it actually would contradict many other things in Scripture that would tell you that it's better to go into the house of mourning than into the house of praise or, or or uh, Thanksgiving um, celebration. It's better to go to a funeral than a wedding. That's <laughs> what it's saying. Because it reminds you that there's something wrong in this world. Now, that doesn't mean that every Christian should go around sad and mad and, and dis dis depressed and despairing. That's not what I'm, I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is the idea that, that many people have been forced to believe, which is that if you're not always happy, then you're not a good Christian and something is wrong with you. And that is not true. That is not true. It's not true biblically and it's not true in your experience and, it's, and we shouldn't be teaching that. Okay? 
Now, we do need to be seeking joy as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And what's the next one? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are a fruit of the Holy Spirit, which means that as you dive into your relationship with the Lord and as you build that relationship and that maturity in your walk with Christ, then the Holy Spirit will supply those things as a gift, as his work in your life, as his presence in your life. Those things will happen. But what I, what I need to do, what we need to do this morning as we open God's word and study and understand what it's saying to us is to take away the stigma that many people have because I'm looking around at a group of people that many of you have a sense of guilt for the way that you feel. And you, you won't talk about it. You're, you're afraid to talk about it because you think that it tells people that you're, you're not, you don't have enough faith or you're not a good enough Christian or there's something missing or lacking in your life that somehow you've missed some spiritual truth or your relationship with God is lacking or something is wrong. And the reality is that we do need to pursue joy. We need to seek it, but we need to seek it in the right way and not with a sense of heavy-handed guilt, but with actual practical ways to, to, to understand it, okay? So um, I'm going to show you just a little bit of what I'm talking about here in this uh, quick uh, video. Go ahead and play that for us. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. Did y'all get 13? But did you see the moonwalking bear? How many of you saw the moonwalking bear the first time? So what's interesting, funny to me, is that I, the first time I saw that, I missed the moonwalking bear. Then I knew that he was there, so I went back and I watched it again, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to count the passes, and I'm going to try to notice the bear. I literally couldn't do it. I, I knew that he was there. In fact, the first time that I went back and watched it, the second time, I... I actually thought maybe they changed the video. I'm like, well, did they just add the bear later and it's a trick? And then I went back and watched it again and it's, no, no, it's, he's there the whole time. And here's what I'm saying is that something as simple as that where your focus on something will distract you from so many other things. And, and that's, this is how we're made and it can be a very good thing. When you focus on the right thing, you can accomplish a lot. But if you focus on the wrong thing, you're going to miss some things. And what we're going to focus on is how to live the new life in Christ and to put away the old life that we used to have in, in our sin before we knew him, okay? This, this is what we, we oftentimes miss is that we're so focused on the old life that we don't ever, ever really grow into the new life. All right, so... Let's uh, open God's word this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, and we're going to start in verse 17. Ephesians 4, 17. Let's stand as we read God's word this morning. <clears throat> it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard of him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and 
to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And Father, we thank you for your word. Again, we always come as students uh, seeking to learn, seeking to understand, seeking to apply uh, what you have revealed, Lord. We thank you for your grace that, um, that your Holy Spirit will take something from your word and uh, pierce our hearts with it. Lord Jesus, you said that you are the teacher. We, um, we want to move everything aside, everything out of our way, every distraction, every, everything that uh, keeps us from allowing you to have uh, this moment to teach us, Lord. We want to just set it aside and say, Lord Jesus, reveal what you want to reveal, do what you want to do, teach what you want to teach, um, compel us, motivate us, help us, encourage us, convict us, um, save us. Uh, Lord, we just, we give you the stage. And uh, Lord, I pray that, that you would hide me behind your, your power and your presence, Lord. And that even as JP prayed that prayer of, Lord, would your Holy Spirit move in every heart that not only that your word would go out, but that there would be ears to hear, that hearts and minds would be ready to receive whatever it is that you want to give. And we'll just be ready for you, Lord, to, to have your way in our lives. But also, Lord, we pray for the courage and the strength to apply it, not to just dismiss it or move on from it or to let it go in one ear and out the other, Lord, but Lord, help us to grab a hold of what you're trying to teach us today and do something with it for our good, for the good of those around us, for your sake, for your glory, for your kingdom. We, we just give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we're in Ephesians, I always have to bring my mind back to what was going on in Ephesus um, when Paul planted that church there because if you don't do that, you, you can miss the spiritual implications that are going on here. Um, Ephesians is a very spiritual book. There are, um, on every page, references to spiritual battles, spiritual um, realities, um, the, the forces of evil, the forces of good. Uh, Jesus is in the, in the heavenly places. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, and uh, that's where we find the armor of God. Uh, in chapter 6, that, there, that we have to stand against the schemes of the enemy. And so when I go back through the history, I have to understand that Paul planted the church on his third missionary journey in Ephesus. There was uh, a tremendous amount of, of uh, satanic activity. There's, there's witchcraft, there's uh, demon worship, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And the power of God is piercing through that, saving people, changing people, um, rescuing people, and there's mir miracles going on over and over and over. And so Paul is very conscious of the spiritual realities that are present in Ephesus when he writes to them. And I'm going to say it this way. I think that um, probably at no other point in our history have we been in such a similar time, in a similar situation than now to what Ephesus was experiencing then. There is such a strong um, spirit of darkness moving in our country and also, okay, also a tremendous power and energy and effort of God, the Holy Spirit moving, changing, rescuing, drawing people to himself, okay? 
Because sometimes we get so overwhelmed with the darkness that we forget how powerful the light is. But Paul, in, in that uh, time, was, was doing some miraculous things that were just unknown to people. They were taking handkerchiefs and aprons that he had used, and they were healing people with them and driving out demons with just things that he had wiped his forehead with, okay? And, and so the power of God was present and active in, a, in a, an amazing way. There's a story about something that happened in Ephesus at this time that you, you may be familiar with. There, there were um, groups of people that were going around and, and driving out demons or trying to, okay? You remember this story? The seven sons of Siva, they were sons of a high priest. So they were priests. They were Jewish priests. They were... Um, they, were, they had a business, okay? They had a demon uh, exercising business. And a lot of people did because people were freaked out. There were people that were possessed by demons and people were also superstitious and there's a lot of witchcraft going on. And so these Jewish guys are going around and these are guys that know who God is, right? They have the word of God. They have um, the right, you know, so to, so to speak, religion, uh, and they would go around and they would drive out demons or try to. And, and I don't know how often they were successful, okay? I don't, I don't know that. All I know is that this one story is about how they thought that they could hijack the name of Jesus and use it as an incantation to drive out a, a demon, okay? And they go into this place, this house, where this guy is possessed by a demon, and they say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, uh, we cast you out. And do you remember what happened? The demon says, uh, Jesus I know, Paul I've heard of, but who are you? And he jumps on these seven guys, strips them naked, and drives them out of the house. So it's a reverse uh, exorcism. <laughs> okay? The demon drives out the, the exorcists. And here's, here's what I take from that, and I'm going to apply it to what we've just read here, is that the old self cannot just be covered with a, a magic word. You can't add Jesus to your old self and expect any power. Okay? What the Bible teaches is that you have to get rid of the old in order to make room for the new. These guys were thinking that they could just add Jesus, the name of Jesus, without a relationship with him, without bowing to his lordship. They could just add the name of Jesus to their repertoire and somehow have power, and it doesn't work. And here's what I'm saying. There are people that have no intention of having their life changed. They come to church thinking I'm just going to add religion to my life, to my lifestyle, to my beliefs, to what I already do, what I already think. I'm just going to add Jesus to it, and somehow that'll make my life better. And what we're telling you is that that does not happen. It doesn't work. There's no power in a religion that doesn't change your life and put to death the old person and resurrect you and make you a new person in Christ. So when Paul talks about this in Ephesians, he's saying there's an old way of life, there's an old person, there's an old thought process, there's an old attitude, there's an old belief system, and you cannot just add religion to it. Okay? Are you following me? Here's what um, we have happen from time to time. Maybe more often than, than you might even suspect people will tell us that they're bringing their kids to kids club or Sunday school or a kids program because they want their kids to have some religious training. And their family's not changing, you know, hasn't changed, their belief system isn't changing. It's just we're going to add this layer of teaching on top of everything else. Maybe it'll help our kids to be a little bit better. Maybe they'll behave a little bit better. Maybe they'll have a little bit of a background and faith or what the Bible says or who God is, and, and that'll be nice for them. And then later on, someday they can choose whether they believe in God or not. They'll have the choice. They'll have the option. 
because they'll have a little bit of religious training. Now, a couple of things are happening. One is that um, these kids many times will come to know Jesus Christ personally because we don't teach religion here. We teach a relationship with Jesus Christ. <laughs> so um, it's not really a bait and switch, but it is a switch. <laughs> they are being transformed, being renewed, being filled with the Holy Spirit, becoming Christians, wanting to follow Christ, and then they go back into their homes and they witness to their parents and their family and their brothers and their sisters and the family says there's something going on and they come and check it out. Some of you are here today because that happened in your family. Your children were transformed by Jesus and you wanted to see what was going on or at least debunk it. <laughs> and you came to church and God got a hold of your life too. But the idea that you can come in and just put religion on top of your old life just, just doesn't work. What God is looking for is to take that old life to put it away from you and then give you a new one. We participate in that. We have a part to play in that. And so Paul says, this is, this is what I say, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. And, and walk means live, okay? That's, that's what that means. Walk means live. Walk like Jesus, don't walk like Gentiles. Gentiles were the non-Jewish people or Gentiles. But when he uses it that, in that way, he's saying pagans, non-believers, people who don't know Jesus, don't know the Lord, don't know God, don't have faith, okay? Don't walk like them. And then look at what he says. In the futility of their minds, their minds are running but pointlessly to no purpose. Uh, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance. Over and over and over, life and understanding or mindset are connected. You live according to how you think. Do you know that? Your life reflects how you think. It says, this is really interesting. God, okay, the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to, so here's the, here's the reason, here's the background of it, due to their hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. So what does that mean? Um, we're all pretty familiar with what that probably looks like. We, we see it throughout Scripture. We see different occasions where somebody has a hard heart, and then it says that God hardens their heart, and it says that they harden their own heart, and then there's this reciprocal thing going on. Okay, the most famous story of that was Pharaoh when uh, Moses came to get his people out of slavery, and it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, and it says that God hardened his heart. You remember that story? There's a lot of theological questions about this and you know, whose fault is it and who, you know, how unfair God is for allowing this to happen and all this stuff. But the reality is that Pharaoh hardened his own heart first, which means that he was not responsive to God. You see, he wasn't sensitive to God. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. He didn't want to listen to God. He didn't want to listen to anybody who spoke for God. He didn't want to listen to God's word. He didn't want to move uh, according to God's will, okay? He was just not sensitive to God. And God said, okay, you, you want to go in that direction, then have at it. And here's what it means when it's talking about the hardness of heart, the lack of understanding, which eventually leads into the lifestyle. It means that there's a philosophy behind why people who are not saved, why they think the way they do and why they live the way they do. And the philosophy is this. I'm a good person. You ever heard that before? The philosophy of our day and age in America right now. This isn't necessarily the philosophy that's always been for everybody all over the world. We've had different philosophies that have been predominant, but the pre predominant philosophy of our age is I'm a good person. And if I'm a good person, then I deserve to feel good. Right? I deserve to feel good. I should feel good. And whatever I want to do, I should be able to do, and nobody should be able to tell me that I can't do it. Because I'm a good person deep down. If you really knew me, you ever, you ever hear people talk like this? If you really knew me, if you knew my heart, you'd know that I'm a good person deep down. That philosophy means that 
I am right and God is wrong. I don't have to listen to God because God is trying to tell me something different than that. How many of you know that you and I as Christians don't believe in the philosophy that everybody is good? Probably half of you are nodding and the other half are like, I don't, what do you mean? I thought we were good. That philosophy has woven its way into the church that we're basically good people who want good things, intend good things. We just tend to make mistakes from time to time. And, but God's going to forgive and cover that too, and it's all okay. But here's the reality is that the Bible says that you and I are sinners. We're, we are sinful creatures. We're, we're fallen. He made us good in the beginning that we were made in his image, but we fell from that, and so we're sinful creatures who make mistakes, who think wrong things, who do wrong things, who have wrong desires. And so what's going on here is that when you have this idea that I should be happy, you have one of two responses to that. One is, you're resentful that you're not happy. I'm resentful, which means it's somebody else's fault. It's either God's fault for not making me happy or it's other people's fault because they're idiots and they didn't make me happy. Nobody thinks that, right? I'm just... And then the other side is the guilt that Christians feel, which means it's my fault. I should be happy, but I'm not, and what's wrong with me? And here's, here's the thing that we have to understand about putting off the old and putting on the new, is that when... <laughs> i got to confess some things here. I have struggled this week more than probably any particular week in recent history with this with my own emotion, with feeling depressed, with this sense of guilt for not feeling joyful, for this sense of failure, for not being able to correct myself. Anybody ever have that moment? Like, what is, what is the matter with me? How come I can't get over this? How come I can't get beyond it? Why, why am I feeling this way? There's something, and, and the Lord, I think, he allows these things to happen because for me, at least, um, he wants me to know how weak I am and how strong he is. And that when I come into the pulpit confidently, then I'm, I'm kind of um, robbing him of, of some of his power and influence. When I come into the pulpit knowing that I don't really have the answer, I have not mastered this, that I, I'm actually, I feel like a complete hypocrite hypocrite trying to teach it to anybody else, then that's the opportunity that, that he uses is all up to him. And so this whole issue came about that I began to realize that there's something going on in the Christian mind that doesn't quite grasp how to be joyful. Unless somebody has mastered this, you can come up here and take my spot. So I would welcome it. But what I find is that a lot of Christians struggle with this area in particular because, and this is what I concluded, we struggle with this in particular because we're so focused on the negative instead of the positive. And what I mean is, not everybody is, in, is as nearly as much of an introvert as I am, introspective as I am. I think about things a lot. I internalize things too much. Okay, I, I do understand that. Um, but I think that a lot of people have this wheel spinning in their head constantly. And, and the wheel spinning constantly is, why can't I be better? And, and you can put joy in there. How come I don't have more joy? 
but it can be almost anything. How come I can't get over this sin, over this temptation, over this weakness, over this whatever, okay? This feeling that I have, whatever, fill in the blank. You can fill it in with almost anything and say, how come I can't get over this? What's wrong with me? You ever feel that way? I know you do because I've had many, many, many people come to me. Why can't I conquer this sin in my life? How come I can't deal, how come I can't feel better? And here's what I'm realizing is that we are too focused on trying to understand why we're sinful. And it's not mysterious. Something happened to you in your past. You were abused. You had trauma. Your parents got divorced. You were picked on and bullied. You had, you know, I was, I was a fat kid in, in uh, grade school and I got teased relentlessly. So what? Everybody has something in their past. The reason that we struggle is because we're sinners. It's simple. It, it is not mysterious. And here's what the solution of this scripture is. Not to dive into introspection and trying to figure out why I struggle with this particular thing over that other thing and how come I can't get beyond it and what's really wrong with me and you know, my family history, and my dad did this, and my mom said that, and all that, you know, psycho stuff. <laughs> some people need some therapy, okay? I'm probably one of them. But the reality is that Scripture says this. We're all sinners. We're all fallen. We all make mistakes. We all have issues. We all have a past. We all have tendencies. We all have temptations, right? We all understand that? And the solution is not to try to figure it all out. The solution is to recognize it, say, that's sin, that's wrong, and repent. Now, repentance is very simple. Repentance means I call sin for sin, and then I turn away from it. Now, I don't just turn away from sin. I actually have to turn to something. I have to turn to God. See, and here's why we're so neurotic. It's because... We keep focusing on ourselves and our sin and our problems and our past and the darkness and the issues of, of this world and how everything's messed up and how we're messed up. We're focused on it like the passes. And God's saying, forget it. I, I forgave it. I healed it. I bled for it. I died for it. I redeemed it. Now you can say, yes, that's sin. I'm sorry, God. And now... Focus on your relationship with God. And what's going to happen is as you do that, your mindset will begin to reflect the new creature that you are in Christ instead of the old creature that is just trying to grab a hold of you. Satan is an accuser, and what he loves to do is to keep you locked down in your past, in your own thought process, in your own sense of guilt and shame about who you were and what you did and the things that you continue to do wrong and you do continue to do wrong. The only way that I can be the pastor of this church is that I remind myself, maybe not every day, almost every day, this church is full of people who are people who make mistakes who do wrong things, who hurt my feelings and hurt each other's feelings and don't understand everything and I don't understand everything either and if we're not going to have the same kind of grace that Christ has for us with each other, we will not make it. We can't. Your marriage is not going to make it if you don't have the same kind of grace, forgiveness and love and understanding for each other that Christ has for you. We can't survive by tearing ourselves down and each other down constantly and saying how can you better than this you, you guess what and positionally with the lord this is what's amazing because of jesus christ and the holy spirit in me god sees his son in me when he looks at me so I'm a saint, and I get to go to heaven, and I'm forgiven, and I'm growing, and I'm maturing. But the, the experience that I have in an everyday life is what? Struggle. 
Israel is called Israel because the name means wrestling with God. Jacob was wrestling with God all night long, and he changed his name to Israel. And I think it was important for them to understand that, guess what? <laughs> this is life. You're, you're constantly going to be battling your own sinful desires, trying to get it right, trying to bring it back to the Lord, trying to let him forgive it, trying to mature and grow and become a, a person of character. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but the struggle continues on and on and on. The focus is my relationship with the Lord. I can praise God. I can thank God. So the commandment is to praise. The commandment is to rejoice and to thank God and to never stop doing that. He says in uh, verse 13, he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The conclusion. Verses uh, four, four through eight, but I'm just going to read a couple little passages here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Right? That's not be joyful. That's give God praise no matter what. Always, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about them. When you think about them, you meditate on them. When you meditate on them, you pray about them. And here's just a practical thing that you can do, okay? When you're praying, be praying all the time, but when you're praying, start with praise, and, and I know for some people it's hard, like, ah, things are rough. I don't, I don't know. I don't have anything to really be thankful for. And I hope nobody could raise their hand to that. Because there should be a few things that every single person can praise God for. Jesus Christ died for you. Right? He conquered sin for you. Which means that if you trust in him, you can have a right relationship with God. So everything else in your life can be falling apart, but I know that I have a right relationship with God. He rose from the dead, so he conquered death. So guess what that means? However long or short your life is or how difficult it is, you have heaven as your certain reward. Perfect, unimaginable glory. You get a new body. Anybody want a new body? I was talking to a couple guys out in the foyer earlier about what you know heaven's going to be like. Having a new body, I'm going to finally have abs. I mean, I'm looking forward to that. New body. Relationships, everything is right, and it says that there are pleasures. Picture in my mind exactly what heaven's going to be like. I just know this is not it. <laughs> he says that everything is working for good for my sake. Everything, everything works for good for those who love God, called according to His purpose. Now you have to read. Good doesn't mean what you want. It means your maturity. But hey, even that's pretty good. It means he's growing me up to be more like Christ. So the hard things and the difficult things and the, the, the trauma and the, the struggle, all of it is it's having a, it's, its day in my life to, to make me who I'm supposed to be. And somehow, even that's good. I can praise God for that. I mean, but beyond that, I mean, look at all the blessings that you have. I mean... I cannot imagine anyone here would look at their life and say, oh, there's nothing good in my life at all. There's so many things. You just start listing out the things that are good in your life, and I'm just telling you, you probably will not be able to exhaust that list. I'm, try it. Try to exhaust the list that, that uh, lines out, lays out every blessing that you have. 
and see if you can ever come to the end of it. I mean, you, you're, eventually you're just going to have to give up and, and stop, right? Because you won't be able to list every blessing, every good thing in your life. You won't be able to do it. You, and so what I'm saying is we don't do that very often, I don't think, or we don't do it often enough. We, we, because what do we do in prayer? We, we focus on the bad things that God's got to fix, and it's okay that we pray for things for God to fix. But don't make that everything that you focus on in prayer. Recognize your sin, call it out, say, that's wrong, I'm sorry, and turn. And start focusing on the goodness of God and the power of God and the wonderful purpose of God in your life, and I think that our minds will begin to shift a little bit. Maybe we become a little bit more open to his leading, and so when he does start to tell us some things that we need to do, we say, oh yeah, okay God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing that. And some of those things are going to be terrifying. They're going to go against your nature. And you're going to have to be reminded over and over, okay, God, I said I would do that. I'm going to do it. And what's going to usually happen is you finally take that step of obedience and faith, and you say, okay, I'm going to do that. And it's not nearly as bad as you thought it would be, and the blessings are beyond imagining. Anybody have a testimony about that? It's awesome. It's not easy. But it's what God is moving us towards. All right. I don't know what else to say. I just I just want to I don't want to hug you, but I just want to like <laughs> draw you close and say, can we do this? Can we, can we really do this? Because I, I, I think this is where things start to change. Amen? Father, we, we love you. We thank you that you, you are good. You are good. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the purpose on the cross to forgive sin. And, and even, even when you're being mocked and ridiculed and hated, to turn and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing is such a testimony to us. Lord, we pray that we would remember really remember how much you love us. That we would dwell in that relationship, that we would dive into it with all that we have, all both feet, head first. Just, Lord, would you help us to just approach you confidently because of Jesus. We, we know that we can, that we can come to the throne of grace because you paid the price. We, we don't have to. We need to recognize sin. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. But, Lord, we don't have to live there. And we thank you for that. Lord, we want to be people that are transformed in how we think, transformed in how we live, transformed in our attitude. And, Lord, we, we know that you can do that. And so we're just going to lay ourselves at the altar. We're going to lay ourselves at your feet and just pray for you to do your work. And we will agree with you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to commission some people this morning. We Every week we want to um, pray for some folks in our church. And uh, two weeks ago I, I spoke about my concern for our students. Last week we prayed for our teachers. This week I want to uh, pray for and commission our students. If you're a student, if you're in grade school, junior high, high school, college, um, if you're a student this morning, would you please stand? I just want to pray for you. I'm praying for God's protection over you, praying for God to use you as a light in your school, in your homes, wherever you, wherever you step foot. 
you have jobs, you have friendships, uh, would you stand and just uh, let me pray a, a quick blessing over you this morning. And Father, I thank you uh, for our students, Lord. We, we love them. We care for them, Lord. We, we thank you for them. Um, Lord, we hurt for them. We, our hearts break for them, Lord. They're in difficult places. Some of us have no idea how difficult that there's a lot of darkness, but there's also a hope because you have planted some kids, some students, some young people in these classrooms and hallways and families that know you and love you and, and they want to serve you. Maybe they don't know always how to. Maybe they're not sure what it looks like. Maybe they are afraid. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would not only fill them, but overflow through them. It would give them the courage to step away from things that are not pleasing to you, that it would give them the courage to step into a conversation that honors you. Lord, and maybe it's just a, a reminder to be kind. Maybe it's a reminder to, to um, befriend somebody. Maybe it's a reminder to invite somebody to youth group or to church or something. But Lord, I pray that you would begin to use these young people. Lord, we are commissioning them. It means we agree with their mission. It's their mission. We, we're just supporting them, encouraging them, praying for your power to go with them. But Lord, help us um, to bless them however we can and never to forget to pray for them as we send them out. Thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing and invite you, as the Lord puts it on your heart, whatever he puts on your heart, lay it down at the altar.